Hello, Assalamualaikum everybody. Hope you're all safe, sound and healthy. And I'm back. And this time I'm not talking about any politics or anything. This was something that has a completely, you know, uh, different uh, topic. Um, thankfully, it rained today, seriously. But it rained more like those quiet, you know, that really quiet rain where you don't even know is it really raining or not. Um, but it rained properly, so that's good. And... Uh, but the flu isn't leaving me alone, seriously, the flu, I swear, it's worse whenever I'm trying to talk, like, every time I'm trying to prepare myself for a podcast, I have to spend, like, 10 minutes, you know, just, just trying to clear my throat and try to stop myself from, you know, swallowing so much, that's the most irritating thing that happens to me is when I have to swallow, and it's even more irritating when it gets caught on the mic, and that is usually when I'm on my mobile, which is why I'm actually trying to Make sure that I do this on my laptop because it at least cancels that sound out. Um, so yeah, the topic right now is about the sudden viral thingy going on about Indians talking so much about how Koreans hate Islam and Hindus and how it hates Indians and Pakistanis and, you know... Um, Thankfully, they didn't talk too much about how Korea hates Pakistan or Pakistanis and they were focused more on, on Indians and, you know. And first of all, to be very honest, I was a bit sarcastic because I'm like, okay, I mean, this can happen most definitely. Yes, there are racists everywhere. But first of all, you do realize that within India, your own government is also promoting racism you do realize the amount of genocide that your government has committed in Kashmir and that your own prime minister has been personally responsible for in Gujarat against Muslims. Both Kashmir and Gujarat, Muslim regions, massive killings, genocide, okay? Then you do realize that your extremist Hindu government has allowed people to go and violate even nuns. You didn't even leave the nuns alone. And then you do realize that the massive incidents of racism and discrimination and, you know, um, killings of Muslims and of Christians and of, you know, anybody that's, that doesn't belong to a certain caste of Hinduism has been rampant, you know that India is really no longer secular India. Never really was, but at least they attempted to try to keep it to a large extent secular. But thanks to Modi's government, that's just out the window. You do realize that India is literally promoting the genocide in Palestine as well. Right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at India, within India, the amount of racism and discrimination is huge. So, um, you know, when you talk about how people are racist and discriminatory and you talk about how it is in India, it's against the law. and The government doesn't back it up. And I'm sorry, it may be against the law. It's against the law even in our country. Um, but your government has definitely supported racism and discrimination. Your government is actively involved in ethnic cleansing, you know. Your government has discriminated against the Sikhs for a very long time. Forget the Muslims. I mean, if you want to talk on, you know. So, yeah, 
but uh, and Pakistan as well. Mind it, I have had a problem with Pakistan. My main problem with in, with Indians is that they're racist amongst each other, and then they're racist towards foreigners. <laughs> and Pakistanis, my problem with Pakistanis is they're not at all racist towards foreigners, but they are extremely racist towards each other. And it's not like racist; it's 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 more like weird kind of racism that you find in Asia, which is mainly thanks, very much thanks to the British. That mentality, that really dirty, that really discriminatory asked mentality that the British left behind um, in their post-colonial vibing countries in Asia, where skin color certainly matters a lot and where superiority is from lookism and, you know, so, yeah, you will see that a lot in Korea. And the fact that Koreans have promoted lookism to this extent that even their own, you know, government is actively involved in this discrimination. That tells you that this discrimination is not towards Indians alone. This, this, is, this is a problem that is crucial within Korea, right? Number one. Number two, um, as we always say, not everyone is the same. Let me tell you my own experience, and I have, I've, you know, I was born elsewhere, I was bred elsewhere, I've lived elsewhere. I have, you know, seen the different continents, the different races, you know, the different... I'll tell you one thing. Um, it, the reason why in Islam, you know, education, knowledge is an obligation is because knowledge and education enriches your mind. It opens up your mind all those various aspects that the world has to offer it opens your mind to differences because in islam is called a diverse religion a universal religion for a reason it's not a religion that was brought in for a particular race you know unlike certain religions which have concentrated more on race but islam because this is you know Essentially, no religion actually came for one particular race. Um, any religion from God was basically a whole process, you know. Islam is, just happens to be the last of that process, okay. Various religions came. It's, all, it's actually that one religion. It's all one religion. Came down in various steps. Got to be called different names. But at the end, the message was the same. And Islam was known as the completion, the completion of that process. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was that's why he was known as the seal of all prophets, the end, the completion, that, that the message is now complete. You understand? The message came down to us in steps. But with Islam, it was completed and sealed. That's it. Okay. So when you understand that, then you will understand that essentially any religion from God is basically the same religion. It's all one religion with different names because they came in different steps. They were all part of a different, you know, phase of the same process. So no religion would promote racism or discrimination. First of all, we need to get that into our heads. And that is why religion from God is essentially universal because it caters to the universe. Remember, God does not belong to one group of people. God created us all, so we belong to him, he belongs to us. 
and so we're all the same and that is why in islam these laws were laid down the day the prophet muhammad peace be upon him gave his last speech you know some of the fundamentals that were laid down were particularly about racism and discrimination and and the prophet made it very clear when he said remember that no arab is superior to any non arab and no non arab is superior to any arab you're all equals right the the equality of gender the equality of race the equality you know regardless of your caste your creed your background this was all you know worked out and these were all mentioned and sealed by the prophet at the end so you need to understand that that was the first law on discrimination and racism that was put down you know officially in the word and that was in his last speech again keeping that in mind then you need to understand the problem the core problem is communication gap we may regard ourselves as part of a global village but the truth is our village is too big it may be global but it still isn't global that means the information is all there but not everybody could have access to that information but it depends on if that person is interested in looking up in that information so not everybody again has the information so communication gap is there language barrier plays a huge role as we know so for example in korea they don't know about islam they don't know about hinduism as such either they don't know about india they don't know about pakistan you would say if they have a bias against india that's a political bias because remember south korea and pakistan you know they belong to that american alliance group and india you know was with russia and all and so south korea north korea after all they are divided because of the same ideology the, the very you know this ideology of communism and democracy so there is that number one right then you have um another political bias and that is that where you see how um the two governments dealt with each other right until the 70s so there is that now another thing you need to understand is that literacy does not play a huge role as long as you have not traveled out and expanded your horizons or read about different cultures so koreans may be literate but at the end of the day it depends on their the expansion of their horizons it, it depends on how much exposure they really have to the outside world and remember their exposure is just as limited as anybody's exposure can be you would think that americans should know about the world but literally americans have the least exposure to actually what is going on in the world the different cultures in the world you know it's a very small minority of americans that aren't ignorant when it comes to the actual world itself you understand and the same as with england actually i will tell you now my experience when i was in france and when i was in england to be honest i did not face any racism or discrimination from the british or the spanish or the french or in none of them first of all 
they didn't even know that I was Pakistani. You know, that was also something. Their concept of Pakistan is so unclear. Um, in fact, this is something that I was I, I kind of felt a bit weird. Um, and I was like, I wouldn't expect at least the British to be that ignorant. But apparently, the British are now equally ignorant, if not more, than the Americans. And we're talking about, you know, generations of the generation that knew much more about Pakistan and India is probably the older generation. When it comes to the new generation, they're only concerned with localized information. You see, it comes back to that. Their concern is mainly with what is within the UK. They don't even have much knowledge about the European Union, if you come to think about it. The only reason that the present generation would now have knowledge about the European Union is because of Brexit. Okay, so the the fact that they did not even know that Pakistan is not Afghanistan, you know, I'm like, you're British and you don't even know Pakistan, seriously, you've got like a million Pakistanis in Britain and you don't know what Pakistan is. That was my first, you know, what the F sort of a thing when it came to that. And then, you know, I realized because one of my friends, I wasn't the only international student. Um, there was one from Nigeria, which is my birth country, you know, and then there was one from America and uh, she was an African-American. So, you know, she also was, she was like, she used to get peed off every now and then the American, because she was like, uh, you know, uh, somebody apparently asked her about her hair and asked her if it was real or not. And I'm like, how idiotic is that person not to even know that your hair is real? And she started laughing because it was so obvious that it was real. And don't think that it was obvious to me because I've been born and bred in Nigeria. No, no, no. You need to remember, I may have been born and bred in Nigeria, but I have lived the bulk of my life in Pakistan, which is very fortunate and very unfortunate. Very unfortunate because, again, you see, my biggest fear, which I realized when I went to England and when I went to France, when I went to France, it wasn't that much. But when I went to England, I felt it all. I felt it because, and that is why I needed to move out as well. I felt that living in Pakistan, even though I didn't fit here, because that's the problem. When you're born and bred elsewhere, and when you move countries, you just cannot fit in. I can live my whole life in Pakistan, and I would still not consider myself as one part of the society. I would still consider myself as an outsider. My way of thinking my mentality, my values, you know, it's it's different. Again, why? Exposure. See? And, and I realized that even more as I lived in France and as I lived in England. Exposure. It's not that I'm different from just Pakistanis. I was different from your average British and I was different from your average French as well. Now, in France, I actually had the good fortune to meet a businessman. I don't know how we actually had that good fortune that in France we met this really tall, handsome French businessman, you know, um, and and he was a true gentleman, really. Um, and he was, you know, you know, he was a classy person who belonged to, you know, you can say, uh, uh, he had, a, you could see that he belonged to a respectable background because, as I said, he was a true gentleman, and he was basically. Um, his business was to do with tea. <laughs> so you see, that just about defines him all. <laughs> A French businessman who dealt with tea. So he would go, and again, you see why we clicked with him? Why it was so easy? 
why he felt like he was, you know, it could we could connect. Because, like us, he had been exposed to the world. You see, um, in order to look for different teas and different blends and, you know, um, he traveled the world. So meeting new people, meeting people of different color, of different religions, of different cultural backgrounds was not new to him. So he was at ease and he made us feel at ease with him. And he was a sweet, sweet man, seriously, a lovely person. So, you know, you meet him and then you go and you meet your average French person and you see the vast difference, you know. Although I had a very nice French teacher too, to be honest. Um, if you're going to talk about, you know, nobody was racist towards me in France. And this I need to be very factual, despite the fact that I had really, really bad experiences in France as well. But those experiences had nothing to do with racism per se, okay? And half of my bad experiences were caused by my own Pakistanis in France. Thank you very much. And Indians. Thank you very much. Yeah, they were the main culprits in my bad experiences in France, if I'm to be very honest. Um, the French people are racist, okay? They are racist. They're very snobbish. They're all that and more. But you see, again, it depends. I was in Paris. You will not really find a racist person in Paris. It's an international city. It's a metropolitan city. You know, it's the capital of France. What would you expect? How can you expect people to be racist towards you in Paris? Although, yes, again, um, I have had some really, in my own university, what some of the first people that I met were extremely rude. But again, even when they were rude, <laughs> they were not rude because while they were being rude to my friends, they were complimenting me at the same time. So it was just that they were being rude, not even to my friends. They were just being very open in their remarks concerning their fears regarding transitioning from, you know, Pakistan's master's degree to French uh, disciplines, you know, and the system and all. And the, to be fair, it was true, absolutely true. Uh, would you feel offended? I wasn't offended. It was true. What could I do? Um, and then, you know, my teacher that I met there, um, in the beginning, he had a problem with me because, to be honest again, the, the worst thing that could happen to me happened to me that on I couldn't attend the first day of class. I couldn't attend the first two weeks, if I remember correctly. And that was because um, I was bedridden with the flu. Yes, the actual flu. I got the flu from the daughter of the family that I was spending a few days with. She had the flu and she gave it to me. And it was the worst. I have never ever had to be bedridden for anything in my life. And I was literally bedridden. And, you know, so when I went back, I was completely out of it, you know. And obviously that would irritate my teacher. That He would probably be having that what the F moments, you know, whenever... But what saved me was, first of all, uh, because I had done my master's degree and I had done it mainly in uh, classical literature. So that meant old literature. So I knew the langue précieuse, you know, the, the literary language that was used in classic literature in French. So, you know, the fact that in the beginning I was so out of it that when he wanted me to, you know, 
show my expertise and I was like what you know <laughs> obviously that peed him off but then when I when he saw that after class I would go to the restaurant right in front of my university and I was at softball by the way in case anybody's you know confused I was in the university of softball so when I would leave the uni I would go to the you know the small cafe restaurant in front of it which I kind of liked um and he i i found out that he too seemed because as i said it was right next to the university so i suddenly realized that he too had been there once or twice once we even met each other and when he saw that i actually worked my butt off you know trying to keep up with the class after losing those two weeks and when he saw how hard hard i was working he actually started encouraging more and more he stopped harassing me in class in other words he just, he he took it easy with me he realized that yes i needed to you know get back i needed time to get back so he was really um sweet and friendly and actually you know there because there was another girl from canada she was indian canadian so there was that girl in my class too so i can tell you very clearly that he was not racist okay so uh, even the uh, the chef of the restaurant you know he was not racist he was very very friendly and he loved to interact with different people and he loved to interact with me because he saw that i was one of the very few people who actually ate bread with my hands <laughs> and you know actually there was another uh, how do i say another patron of the uh, restaurant who ate bread with hands and all but he found it interesting that i actually could eat properly that i was not being a snob in other words and i even brought my whole family there to that restaurant and he was really really sweet even with you know any with my family and everybody so yeah again no racism there i met some spanish boys in france okay the thing the difference between france and england here let me tell you france actually knows pakistan you would expect english people to know pakistan but that is actually the reason why maybe i had the what the f moment in england when i had my class fellows confusing pakistan with afghanistan and i was like what is wrong with you people because you see this wasn't done in france you would expect it actually i was expecting the french not to know about my country not to know about me about my religion but they knew they knew okay and in fact i even met two spanish boys as i said in france and they were like where are you from and uh, they actually guessed you know they actually guessed if i remember right that i was from pakistan and when i confirmed that yes i was from pakistan they were like oh my god we love that country do you know this the relationship that spain has with pakistan do you even know how close we are to each other do you even know <laughs> you know they just went on and on about that and i found that very gratifying now when you go to england and this this is a country that you expect should actually know pakistan even if nobody does and then you see that your classmates are actually asking if you're if pakistan is afghanistan obviously after france and this is france 2001 and this is england 2005 2006 and you're like what what is wrong with you you know that is the first thing that you do think yes and you do begin to wonder if they're deliberately being racist you know by showing displaying ignorance against your country but no they really were ignorant 
So as I said, you know, the this the level of ignorance is actually because of the level of general knowledge uh, lack, the level of, of, you know, the lacking in general knowledge. That is the thing. Um, there was a time and there was a generation uh, till when general knowledge was essential. Uh, talk to your parents and they will have that general knowledge that you actually do not have. So here we are. Um, my parents actually did go through general knowledge with us. Our school did, to be honest. Um, but I don't know if this in my own generation in England, in Europe, in America had already, you know, had already, were already done with the general knowledge thing. In other words, that they, you know, they'd already sort of sidelined it and that, you know, they'd stopped learning. Now, the thing is, but my, my problem with my class fellows being ignorant was, some of them being ignorant was, you are studying to be a writer. As a writer, it really does become essential that you have some general knowledge. You need to know which country is where. You need to know what culture is what. You need to know the religions in the world. You need to know this if you plan on being a good writer. I know writing is all about write what you know about, yes, but a time will come if you want to grow as a writer, if you really want to make it your career, then I'm sorry, you cannot just write about what you know. You need to know in order to write. Okay? I have written about what I, what I know. Yes, I've written over 40 books and I've published only three. Why? Why? Because I'm still not sure about the other books that I've written and I'm still struggling with them, although I wrote them when I was, and yes, mainly because I wrote them when I was a kid. So I'm still thinking that are they even worth publishing, you know, number one. Number two, from then to now, the exposure that I've had, you will see it. And it, it actually, you can see the difference in my writing style from before that exposure to after the exposure, you know, from the young and naive time to the a time when I'm already exposed to all the darkness, you know, uh, in the world, after all the experiences. So you will see it in the writing style, you will see it in the expression, you will see it in the tone of my books. Yes, it matters, okay? This is what you call experience. When you say, oh, experience comes, comes with age, that is not entirely true. Experience actually means when you, when something happens to you and you take something from it, you learn from it, and then you learn to change accordingly. But if you're not going to change or you're not going to learn or you're not going to unlearn or unsee or undo whatever it is that you, you know, were brought up with as a bias, then that's not an experience. You haven't experienced anything then. Okay. So, yes, as a writer, as I said, it's essential that we actually learn and unlearn and see and unsee and hear and unhear a lot of things. We have to learn to do that because you cannot just sit and write a one-dimensional story. That's not how it works, you know. So yes, that did. Plus, you know, I was actually fighting depression. As I said, I've uh, I've already been, you know, uh, going through depression. My depression began when I came back from France to Pakistan, and uh, since then it had been an 
ongoing struggle to fight the depression. And that is why, again, I left when I went to England. So, yeah, you could say that my class fellows were actually very nice with me. My teachers were very nice with me. Everybody was very sweet. Nobody made any stupid, discriminatory, ignorant remark whatsoever. Okay, but I was actually myself going through a bad time mentally and I was trying to just deal with it and push it back and not let it affect my life but at the same time so many other things were going on paperwork bank accounts getting a house you know so much was going on but I can tell you very clearly my teachers and my class fellows or my university did not add to my problems yes in the beginning my university did create a problem for me when it came to the fee thing we, uh, they had <clears throat> suddenly, you know, uh, changed my whole fee structure from the initial agreed fee structure. And then, you know, my teacher actually helped me with that. My teacher was like, I'm not going to allow you to be so stressed out. You're already in a, in a different country. And then they put this thing on you and you're so stressed out that it's going to affect your studies. No way. I'm not going to let that happen to you. And my teacher actually fought for me there. So, you know. And then my, my head of department, she was really nice. Although at the end, there was a bit of a, uh, you know, thing where my marks, you know, my actual marks that were supposed to be put in were not put in and whatever. But okay, who cares at the end of the day? It's not like that was my most important first master's. That master's was actually something that I did in order to fight the writer's block. Because with my depression came writer's block. And I wanted to fight that. And so I decided to do my master's in script writing um, and production. So that is what it was. It was basically me using my master's as a tool to force myself to write. And it worked. It worked. I actually came out with two books, the Mist series, you know. But uh, I would actually have come out with four books. But the problem is my computer, <laughs> my disk uh, had, you know, sort of corrupted and I lost the data for the other two books. And then you know, as I said in my interviews before as well, um, to me, uh, any break in my writing is fatal. It's absolutely fatal. So as you can see, since 2015 till now, those two books have not been completed. It's 2024 and I'm dying inside, but I just, just can't get myself to write them. You know, I rewrote, I started rewriting them, yes. But as I said, because I write it all in a sitting, literally in one sitting and I write in a flow. So anything that disturbs that writing, it disturbs it for years to come. And obviously, again, because of what Pakistan is going through, the added tensions, the unnecessary tensions, the political crisis, the economic crisis, the social crisis, the global crisis, I need peace of mind in order to write, to be very honest. Anything that disturbs me, um, that triggers my depression, that triggers, you know, stress, that is fatal to my writing. So, yeah, basically, uh, at the moment, I'm dead. As a writer, I'm totally dead. So even just a few hours ago, I literally opened up my documents and tried to type in a few words. I literally managed to type hardly a paragraph and then I shut it all off again. This is not me. When I start typing, I will continue typing until I finish a whole chapter at least. You know, before it was a whole book. Now it's even a chapter at least. But See, now it's reduced to this point that it's hardly a paragraph. And I was known as the fastest writer in my university as well, actually. And my university was City University London, by the way. So in, uh, in my uni, I, in my department, in my class, 
I was known as the fastest writer ever. And obviously the reason was because, again, as I said, I couldn't afford a break. So if something was on my mind, if I had to do something, I had to do it immediately and I had to finish with it before I could get up. That is why I was the fastest writer. Simple, really. Otherwise, I would have ended up with zero, absolutely zero scripts. So, and that is also the reason why, although my teachers egged me on for one or two of my projects or scripts saying that if I just tweaked them up, I could get a distinction. The reason why I just couldn't tweak them is because, as I said, once I've written that thing, going back to it, redoing it becomes more and more difficult. I do redo it. Yes, I did a lot of I. That is why I was known as the fastest writer. Every time they told me to redraft something, I would just redraft it immediately and hand it over. But uh, the next day, you know. But the thing is that when I, when I've sort of mentally finished with that script, I'm going back and trying to tweak it becomes really, really, really difficult for me. So that is why you know I was like, okay, you know, I already had again. So as I said, so much going on in life. That was a miracle that I was producing the drafts, to be honest. So again, you know, um, I yes, I mean, listen, even if somebody will display their ignorance, I think they have a right to a certain level of ignorance. You cannot expect somebody living in England to know everything about Pakistan. Yeah, there could be a million Pakistanis in the UK, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all, every single one of the British living in the UK have interacted with said Pakistanis. It's, it's virtually impossible. There are many <clears throat> Africans and Arabians that have come to Pakistan, studied in Pakistan. <clears throat> there have been many people from Nepal that have come to Pakistan to study, especially our medicine. You know, um, medical in Pakistan was something that was that had always attracted foreign students. In Punjab University, which was my university, Punjab University had a lot of foreign students, but not in my department. I never saw or interacted with a single foreign student in my university in Pakistan. And this was a university that had loads of foreign students. Well, they weren't in my department. I never interacted with them. Simple as, okay, that tells you. And as I said, that is actually one of the fears that I had, even when I was going abroad, is that I felt that the longer I lived in Pakistan, I would end up becoming more or less like the Pakistanis, in the sense that my exposure, because my exposure is once again being limited. So again, I will start seeing things in an ignorant way, for example, or in the average way, in the way that I would not normally be looking at them, you know, for example, as and it is, it's not a good thing, in my, in my opinion, it's not a good thing for me, as somebody who has lived abroad who has who was born abroad who has lived in different continents you know for somebody like me just end up having those set biases and prejudices whenever i realize that i'm beginning to have those set biases and prejudice i get really scared i really get scared because as as we can all see these bias these biases these prejudices they can they can hurt somebody even if you don't really mean it that way so, for example, now the Indians who are always, you know, making a fuss out of racism and discrimination or any little thing, which, to be honest, I kind of like because that shows how much they value their self-respect and that they need to fight for it. I think it's good. 
But at the same time, for example, this recent South Korean anti-Indian thingy that the Indians are making viral on the social media. Koreans hate Indians. Koreans are banning Indians, you know. One of the first thing that they said is that when that there are literally notices on in clubs banning Indians from entering them. But for you know what was the first thing that I thought of? They must have had a really bad experience with an Indian. An Indian must have gone in and done his typical, typical Indian stereotypical stuff there. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Koreans should, one would again argue that the Koreans should actually be used to that because the Koreans themselves shared that, that exact mentality, you know. So one would think that they would connect well. But you see, the crowd that goes clubbing is a different crowd. Okay, in every country, even in the Korean country, the, the crowd that goes clubbing is a different crowd. The expectations are different, the mentality is different, the values are different. Similarly, in Pakistan and India, also the crowd that goes clubbing is a different crowd. So if that crowd that normally would, you know, would not know what the expectation is of him, you know, or from him and that club that he's going to in a different country, and if he behaves in a manner that is offensive to that particular crowd, that particular social circle, you know, that particular society, then obviously they are going to be prejudiced against you, definitely. They, you know, you'd never know what somebody could suddenly go and start doing there. So, but yes, you could say it is very small-minded of those clubs even, but again, it, it's about exposure. Those club owners are not necessarily international gurus, you know, they're not bloggers or influencers of international calibers. They're not visiting the world. They don't have any global exposure. It's not, they're just businessmen who are doing business in a local area of their own country, okay? It's just because you're a businessman doesn't mean that you will not be prone to having prejudices or biases again. Now, normally, yes, one would say that you wouldn't expect that from a businessman, but then again, you see the kind of businesses that they're doing in their country. Again, it's different from the kind of businesses we're doing in our country. And mind you, I have seen businessmen being heavily prejudiced, yes. And these are those businessmen who've actually worked with international clients. I'm not saying they're prejudiced towards or racist towards other people. No, no, no. By prejudiced, I mean that I have seen how even a businessman who has had exposure to the world can sometimes be very, very conservative in his thoughts. I can be very conservative in my thoughts because there are certain values, certain moral values or social values or principles that we all have, that we have kept as boundaries for ourselves, right? And everybody has a different level, a different boundary set. And I think that is what makes us individuals. That is what makes us different. So, Having a collective moral value as a society, something else, but then having your own personal boundaries that you have set up, your own personal principles that you've set up as guidelines for your own life and your lifestyle is different, okay? So, as I said, again, you know, one would think that Islam being a universal religion a that practices and, you know, uh, encompasses diversity, that Muslims would not be prejudiced or they would... But again, you see... Religion goes out the window here. You need to remember that. It's just like how just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you are, you know, and uh, practicing Christianity to that level. So 
when you just just because you're a Muslim or you're born in a Muslim home, it doesn't really make you an actual practicing Muslim. We're nominal Muslims, just like how most Christians are nominal Christians. Okay, that means that we are essentially, you know, we're all we're all basically just moving on in our own personal values that we've set up that have really nothing to do with religion most of the time. It has more to do with culture again, and our culture is so con it's so contradictory to our religion in so many ways, because our culture is essentially not a Muslim culture. So in that way, we were very similar to the Indian. Well, Indians and Bangladeshis and Pakistanis are all one in in that case when it comes to culture. We are very different, but at the same time, we're exactly the same, and so we have the same sort of you know uh, mentality. the same set of ideas the same set of cultures basically okay and similarly we share that with the koreans and the chinese and the japanese they it, again it's different but it, we're all the same so for example some of the thing, some of the things that we have in common are these little you know conservative stereotypical biases you see we are we do have that the korean the typical korean man his prejudice his bias you can find that in many parts of india and in some parts of pakistan and bangladesh yes you know then again that superficiality that lookism that is being you know that is practiced as supreme in korea at the moment to the point that it has become a crisis um in many areas of india and pakistan and bangladesh you will have it yes it's not practiced the way it's practiced in korea where it you know where even the your jobs are based on that no 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 that that is really unheard of yes that is taken it to a new level of extreme yes that is why i call it a crisis you won't find that in in uh on in india pakistan or bangladesh but i mean on an individual or familial or superficial level it is there right people do talk about your your complexion your hair your height your physique you know it is there it's everywhere it's in every country actually it's in every country but yes it is practiced it is you can say not practiced but it's more vocal it's it's expressed more vocally in our societies okay and as i said korea has taken it to an extreme level again it you here you would blame the k-pop industry i guess the fact that they when they started setting these beauty standards that were very unrealistic and so the, the the koreans themselves are feeling the pressure of it so one day it will have to be addressed it is going to be addressed you know again it has nothing to do with uh, india or pakistan you know this is their own personal problem that they are dealing with and they will have to deal with just in the same way as in india and pakistan and bangladesh we deal with it on a day to day basis yes we found we find it really weird um because as i said korea has taken it to a new level of extreme and thankfully we haven't but i guess that doesn't mean we don't have it you know as i said we still have it uh, you know within families within friends within you know within our subcultures we we have it we have it everybody has it right so you need to address that first yourselves if if you feel that a korean should not talk about your complexion you need to also realize that you need to stop talking about each other's complexion within your own families you know so there is that so i mean again as i said the the these things are actually something that we have in common with them 
um, these kind of prejudices, these kind of biases that are formed. These are these are found within our countries too. So, you know, um, but to be honest, again, it depends on individuals, from individuals to individuals, okay? Sometimes it's just a lack of communication. Mostly, mostly it's lack of communication. It's language barrier um, because, uh, you know, like, for example, I was in England. My, my class fellows took real good care of the fact that nothing that is not halal or nothing that is alcoholic should be put near me. My teacher, my class fellows, I didn't even really mind it or expect them. I was thinking that it doesn't matter even if they, but they, the fact that they literally took the initiative themselves to ensure that I should be with them in, in our lunches and our dinners and, you know, because, you know, um, and the fact, and just so that I should participate and they would, you know, take me to a place and they would make sure that they, that I get halal. <laughs> I think that that was very, very sweet of them. And I, it's not something, it's not their duty, you know. It's not their duty, really. But the fact that they would always take care of that, you know, I think that that's really sweet of them. As I said, I was myself going on through my own problems. Um, if I, I hope I could, I could show even more appreciation that I did for what they did and for how they were. You know, I was... I did not have any problems of racism or discrimination or Islamophobia, even though, as you know, Islamophobia was at its peak, thanks to America. But no. But you see, that's what I'm saying. It really depends on the people. You know, it depends on who you're interacting with, how you're interacting with them. In fact, when I, when I worked in retail, there were so many people who would come during Ramzan. Now, everybody was aware of the fact that, you know, it's Ramzan. So the clients would come and they would, you know, say that oh are you fasting i think you're fasting you know and they would always encourage and go they would never make any discriminatory remarks in fact if anything they were just trying to show that you know we we know we're aware of ramzan we're aware of this we, you know we're not ignorant and i think that's a very good thing you know it shows so tell me how many indians how many bangladeshis and how many pakistanis have actually tried to be just as you know initiated just just as you know uh encouraging towards you know somebody of a different religion or somebody of a different caste tell me as i said indians are notorious for their racism not just amongst each other but towards foreigners so when they complain about foreigners being racist towards them you know it really makes you think like well hang on there you know, and in Pakistanis, they're not at all racist towards foreigners. They're very hospitable. You know, they would give you things for free because you're a guest. You know, that's our culture. It's weird, isn't it? Our, we show the best of our culture to foreigners and we show the worst of each other to each other, the worst of ourselves to each other. You know, and that is what pees me off about Pakistan. Bangladeshis are, uh, to be honest, I don't know. I've had both good and bad. Um, I've seen the, the you know, anti-Pakistani people uh, and I've seen the pro-Pakistanis because, to, uh, to be honest, you would expect that the older generation would be anti-Pakistan because they're the ones, you know, that suffered, you know, when East and West Pakistan broke up and Bangladesh was formed, Pakistan was formed. So, you know, 
you would think that they would have a problem but strangely they were the ones who were more pro pakistani than anyone the new generation because the new generation has been under the umbrella of the indian indian brainwashing marketing you know it's because their government has is the government that was literally placed by um you know corporation you know of the indian government and uh, as we know she came into power by killing off uh her opposition and by literally killing off leaders of one of the largest most popular um groups of bangladesh uh and it's not just bangladesh it's an international group actually but it had a strong hold in bangladesh as well and it was a religious a religion based group so you know she killed them off calling them pro pakistanis and she created with india you know she created her government and she overpowered the bangladeshis who rioted against her protested against her and so at the end of this generation you know my my generation in bangladesh you will have a half half sort of a thing you will have half of those who really don't care and you know they have no such prejudice and then you have the other half that are very prejudiced because they're under the indian umbrella you know so you have you you can see that so i mean you can see how another country or how another narrative you know can literally change your whole perspective on something so in pakistan there's a different narrative going on in pakistan the narrative has actually become a little the the you know internal strifes and conflicts based on ethnicity um you could say that to a large extent they've been diffused by just one man imran khan just one man imran khan was enough to just make everybody stop thinking about their ethnicity and stop thinking about their you know their family backgrounds and their tribes and to think about just pakistan you know so kudos to imran khan for that otherwise before that everybody was all you know i belong to this tribe and i belong to that i'm like who cares whoever you are you're in your because you see to me it didn't matter because i wasn't taught that way so you see um how your parents and your families educate you it matters a lot because we lived abroad we were born abroad and my parents never especially my father never even bothered talking about these things because he himself that's not the way he thinks either he doesn't think that way so we don't think that way so you know and my mother also she never talked about these things and you know the people our family friends also never talked about these things and when you're living in a, you know as expatriates in another country you're all about mixing and mingling with anybody and everybody that's closer to your culture you don't think about such stupid things as you know who's from punjab and who's from sindh and who's from <clears throat> you know you don't think such things so we just we pakistanis indians bangladeshis we were always mixing and mingling um we mixed and mingled with filipinos with canadians with uh british with americans it if seriously nobody cared and i think that is why i keep on saying that exposure and traveling matters because i think that we those of us who have lived in foreign countries no matter which country we're from those of us who have lived or traveled to in foreign countries we are 
luckiest in that way. We really are. Because we have a little more of an open mind. Um, we thankfully don't think to that level, you know, that level of prejudice and racism. It never even crosses our minds. So the first, one of the biggest culture shocks that we, people like us with, that we get, which is why I said it, it's a misfortune when we go back to our countries, then the culture shock that we get is this, this absolute prejudice and bias that we were never exposed to. And when we see that in our culture, in our countries, you know, and it, it really irks us. It irks us, but we don't realize that slowly, 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 we are beginning to be a little bit more like those very people who are irking us and we are beginning to hold prejudices. And, you know, it's beginning, for example, I would never have thought about who's black, who's white, who's brown, but now thanks to, you know, America's Black Lives Matter, you know, thanks to America's attitude towards Latin Americans, towards African Americans, towards the indigenous people, it has set me thinking on all levels of race, you know, and now I'm automatically thinking of identifying people as per their race, you know, and this is so stupid. Yeah, it's very stupid. I know it, it, it's just my exposure to the fact that America is treating people of different races in this manner. Yes, that is what has started me identifying people in my mind, you know, but it's still, it's still something that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that even though I've begun it for a different reason, I might end up being um, part of those, you know, part of that prejudice. I don't want to. It frightens me. Similarly, you know, when I went to England, I did realize that despite the fact that mentally I never felt as if, you know, I was different from them or that, you know, because as I said, I've been exposed to all of these right from, you know, my birth to different people, different cultures, different. But the fact that I had stayed for so long in Pakistan, you know, that, that in itself, the fact that I stayed so long in Pakistan without any exposure again. So when I again went out to get that exposure, I felt as if this was the, like, you know, my first time as an adult. Yes, it was my first time, second time as an adult, but completely alone, completely alone. Um, that was my first time. I didn't go with friends. I didn't go with a group. I was all on my own. That was the first time, and I wanted it that way. So, so yeah, the first time getting that exposure all over again as an adult, looking at the world as an adult on my own. That made a difference. It made me realize that, oh my God, I, I really was becoming saturated. That And I was thanking myself for realizing it deeply in my subconscious and forcing myself to get out. Because that fear that I had that I should not end up being, you know, saturated and end up being ignorant. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, when I went to England, then I did realize that in, in many things I had sort of regressed. You know, and I had to once again mentally reach that progress stage again, go through it all again, repeat that cycle. So, yeah, you see, just because I had already been exposed to so much doesn't mean that it would retain. When you go back to an exposure, your mind can regress, even though it may take years, but it, 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 the, the, the regression may be slow. 
but there is regression nonetheless. And this is why we always say that you need to keep, you know, keep keep going out. You need to keep traveling. You need to keep because yes, you may think that you've been exposed. You're different. You're, you know, you you you're okay now. Your mind is open, but no, your mind is again going towards regression because your life has become saturated because you're again stuck. So again, you need to move on. So yeah, mentally, I may be open. I may be very different. I may be, you know, uh, not not judgmental. But that some of it is my nature. Thankfully, by nature, I'm not judgmental. But I, by nature, I'm also an eye for an eye sort of a person. But by nature, I'm also extremely patient. So imagine, you can just imagine that on one side I'm extremely patient, but on the other side, just this is the teacher in me. This is probably what made me a good teacher. The eye for an eye thing. Why? I believe it's essential for people to feel whatever it is that they're inflicting on others in order for them to truly understand why they shouldn't do it. So I always used to tell them when I taught primary at one point in my life, this was something I always used to say. It became so much that my students started saying it to each other. I always used to tell them, before you say or do anything to anybody, first think that if that was said to you, if that was done to you, how would you feel? Just put yourself in their shoes. Just just think about it. Just if I do it to you right now, how will you feel? So the minute I would say that if I will do it to you right now, how would you feel? That that would just make them sit still, you know, and they would, and they would realize that, okay, no way. If this is actually going to happen to us, how would we feel? And this is this is what I always used to. So yeah, that that is this thing in me. That is my eye for an eye thing. I do believe one really needs to feel how it feels. So for example, um, when when the Israelis talk about the Palestinians, I say the exact same words back at them. And I say, okay, I want to see how you feel now. Now why? Oh, you are the only humans on earth. You're only they're not humans. You're humans, so you can feel it, but they shouldn't feel it, right? Similarly, when the UK and the US talk about destruction of other countries with such ease, I simply say one thing to them. Wait till it happens to you too. Don't blame the world when the world turns around and does the exact same thing back to you. You know, that's the reason I always say that is because I do believe it's not that I'm giving hate speech. See, that's the difference. Hate speech is what the UK, the US and Israel are doing. That's hate speech. This is reminding them of the consequences of that speech of theirs. It's, again, forcing them to put themselves in the shoes of the very people that they're inciting hatred against. That's all, That has always been me. So if I say something to somebody, it's it's a mirror. I'm being a mirror to that. I'm always, I'm literally a mirror to that person whenever I find that it's essential to put that person uh, back to where that where they belong, in other words, to teach them a lesson, to, to tell them that they've just crossed their limit, they've just crossed their boundaries. That has always been me as well. So yes, that is why you will see me making harsh statements because it's necessary. But, yeah, no, I don't judge. And that is why I have a problem with people who judge. Because I don't mind you judging me. Again, it's because I know that people 
are not well exposed. People, if you're truly, truly exposed to the world and the differences in the world, and you know, if you if you've truly understood yourself, then you will understand people better. Um, I spent my life thinking about myself, understanding myself, knowing myself. That was crucial for me. So because I know myself, that's why I understand people. And I know that because people actually don't know themselves. This is why they're very quick to judge others. And this is why they're not very understanding. So if when we talk about tolerance and endurance and when we talk about patience and when we talk about world peace and yeah, it all comes stems from within yourself. You need to understand yourself. You need to know yourself in order to understand the weaknesses of humanity and the strengths of humanity. And then you will not judge, but you will always look for a solution. So I look for solutions. I don't judge. But I do believe it is very important to make people stand in the shoes of those who they judge even if it's just you know in their minds even if it's just to mentally put that person in the shoes of the other person but i think it's essential that is the only way we can understand and correct ourselves that's the only way we can understand how we are wrong why we're wrong where we're wrong and to correct ourselves so yeah so i'm sorry that 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 this viral thing of india you know of indians that South Korea hates India and it's racist and this racism is there. Yeah, definitely, most definitely. But you know what's more than racism? Language barrier. Okay. And not knowing each other's culture. Okay. So, for example, if some of the, the girls were saying that, oh, you know, when you touch something, then people, you know, they... For example, if you go to a shop and you touch a shirt, then they will come and start cleaning it. Well, you know, they're trying to sell their items, okay? Yes, we're not used to that because our shopkeepers have their, maybe, I don't know, maybe say it's part of our culture, our hospitable culture as Pakistanis. I don't know about India, but yeah, in India too, I guess. Because, you know, shopkeepers, one would think that they would know that people would want to touch stuff and would want to try stuff out, and you know. So yeah, but you know, because in Korea they might also have these standards to maintain for sale of products. Anything that touches one's skin directly, you know, they know it will never be purchased by another person. There is that. Okay, they have those kind of standards. We may not have it, but are you sure we don't have it? Our retailers must be very patient to, you know, tolerate us to touch something against our skin. But again, if you're touching something against your skin, you're most likely going to buy it, right? I mean, think of think of all these little differences and things, you know. So it could be anything. I mean, it's not sometimes it's not racism. It's just lack of communication. Maybe they're unable to tell you why you shouldn't touch the shirt in the first place, you know. Yes, there is discrimination. There is definitely racism. As people have been open about it. But as I said, the Koreans themselves are struggling with it. It's just like how there is racism within India. Just like how there has been a lot of discrimination within Pakistan. Uh, it, or mainly to do with 
tribes in pakistan the whole discrimination was always about tribes i belong to this tribe i belong to that tribe you belong to this tribe we belong to that tribe that was the most stupid thing i've ever heard in my entire life but there you go you know so yeah because remember pakistan india and bangladesh but mainly mainly india and pakistan not bangladesh as such india and pakistan we are the culmination of centuries of mixing and merging of different ethnicities we are you know we are what america still couldn't be if you know what i mean america has spent a century but there is still you know the blacks the whites the indigenous the the asians the browns the chinese you know you you still got all that going on right but in india and pakistan we've already been merged we've been mixed we've been blended we've been completely hodgepodged so you know we are different ethnicities all living in the same subcontinent for centuries and you know so for example in pakistan you will see a mix of african a mix of iranian a mix of dravid a mix of aryans a mix of caucasians i mean we're all a mix of so many things you will even see mongolian blood you know so in pakistan they've already mixed and matched you know for for centuries because remember many muslim rulers came and went they all belonged to different countries different ethnicities there's also that and it's same as in india because india and pakistan were it was in bangladesh it was all one under the muslim rule so yeah we've we've mixed with so many races and ethnicities really that even now if we're trying to identify ourselves through our ethnic roots it's pretty idiotic but i mean yes yeah, so that's how you know the baluchi ethnic roots are different the patans ethnic roots are different punjabis ethnic roots are different we're mainly aryans you know but again again if you put it all together balochistan people and patans are also mainly aryans you know and so if you go towards sindh side again we are predominantly aryans but we have mixed with other ethnicities you know so there you are i mean if you go to kashmir gilgit baltistan you will see a different blend there it, we're all different we're all products of a constant mixing and mingling of you know three to four major ethnic groups and there you have it so yeah i mean at this day and age to even talk about this then it does it, that's why i say in pakistan is the most stupid thing i've ever heard when people say oh we're balochi we're pathan we're punjabi we're sindhi which uh, imran khan you know in just one go just like that he just melted it all now people are not talking about being balochi being pathan being punjabi being sindhi now people are talking collectively about being pakistani that's a good thing so as i said yeah this was something that i think needed to be talked about because everybody was just on and on and i'm like seriously if you don't even have this much freaking common sense to realize that everybody has different uh, a different outlook a different bias a different prejudice you know everybody has a different mindset you can't expect the whole of korea to you know be accepting towards uh indians you can't accept uh, you can't expect the whole korea to be just because they have k-pop and k-drama remember it's also very recent for them you may not think of it recent in terms of when you count to the number of years of their popularity but it's still fairly recent remember bollywood is also extremely uh famous for years and for decades bollywood is a household name but tell me tell me that foreigners do not face that culture shock when they go to india 
what you show in Bollywood is not India. It's not. Not at all. You know, and one of my friends, my cast fellows, she said that to me. She's like, you know, what you, the, the, the kind of the impression that they give you in media of India and Pakistan are completely different from when you actually go there. Yeah, Pakistan is the very opposite of the impression the Western world tries to give you. And people have that pleasant shock. And India gives them a nasty shock because they are shown a completely different picture. And when they go to India, they get this, this nasty surprise, you know, of culture shock. So, yes, there is. You, you, you need to remember that. What our media is showing is not essentially us. Just because Korean media has now become very popular. Remember, there was a time when Pakistani media was extremely popular. In fact, some argue it still is. But I remember that, you know, literally when we used to come to Pakistan for visits, when people would tell us to buy them cassette tapes of Pakistani dramas running at that time, you know. So it's always been like, even now, you know, in, if you go to India, they will they will want to watch Pakistani dramas. And so it's Pakistani dramas and Indian films. That's how it's always been. People would want to watch Indian films and Pakistani dramas. This is how it's always been, right? So similarly, now you have K-pop and you've got the K-drama thing going up. You know, but just because they're now becoming very popular, they're getting very international, does not mean that you would expect them to be, you know, <clears throat> just, you know, within 24 hours, they would suddenly become an international country. That's not how it works. It takes time. Those are real people living in their real country. What you're looking at are stories enacted by actors and actresses. You're looking at a fictional world and then you're trying to say that the real world should be the same. That that's not how media works, you know. So yeah, there are these are real people that you're interacting with, and these are people who don't know English, for example, and the majority of them will not know English, and definitely they will not know Urdu or Hindi. And those very few who do know, you will see the difference in their attitude. As I said, it's like when I was in Paris, there was a police, uh, a traffic police uh, constable, who was very very eager to speak in english to be helpful because he was in a touristic spot and i was a foreigner to him and he could immediately see that and so this was his way of being very kind and generous to me that he took the initiative to speak in english with me and the same as with the teacher my teacher because he knew that he had a pakistani girl and then he had an indian canadian so you know he would sometimes speak in english and he would tell us that you know that he loved to try speaking in English so that he could work on, you know, his proficiency. So there you have it. I mean, it, if you don't know the language, you will obviously not be able to speak to that person. If you know the language, you can take the initiative. It's just like that. So, and in fact, the Pakistanis have had very different experiences from Indians in Korea, to be honest. Whatever Pakistanis I've seen in Korea, their experiences have been totally the opposite of those of the Indians. You know, why? Because first of all, those Pakistanis actually took the initiative to speak in Korean. Okay, they would speak in Korean and then they would see the change in attitude, you know, and they would see how people, how their response helped other people communicate. So, for example, they wouldn't take offense. Oh, that's actually one thing about Pakistanis. Indians are very quick to take offense. Usually Pakistanis, as I said, when they're dealing with foreigners, they never take offense. It's really weird because when Pakistanis are dealing with Pakistanis, they take a lot of offense. 
But when they're dealing with foreigners that don't take offense, that's a plus point about Pakistanis. In my case, as I said, I felt as if I was becoming very saturated because I never took offense at all. But because I was going through my depressive period, I found that I was beginning to take offense on many things that really I would never have taken offense on if I was, you know, if it was a normal day of my life and if I wasn't battling depression. So, yes, I, I really could see that in my mind I was being, I was taking offense for a lot of things that I would normally have never even bothered with, you know, when I was in England. And it, it had nothing to do with anybody. It was nobody's fault. It was just me battling with my depression, seriously. So, yeah, if you don't take offense and you talk to somebody normally about some things, then they're very, they, you know, it's, it's just like how I say that when you're having a discussion with somebody, um, when you try to understand the other person's point of view, then that person makes an effort to understand your point of view. And that's how communication goes. That's how it gets, that's how it's, it, it builds. But if you're just going to say that, oh, this person didn't allow me to touch the shirt. Oh, he's just racist. Oh, he's like this and I'm going, you know, then, you know, you both probably just got on the wrong foot, really. Maybe if you could have ex let him explain why he didn't like you, for example, you know, as the uh, Pakistani podcaster explained that the shopkeeper actually explained to them that the reason I can't let you t touch the shirt is because it will touch your skin and you know if, if something touches your skin then I cannot sell it again but yes if you want to try the jacket on because it's on top of your clothes please feel free to do that and it made sense it's not that it was for them it was for all his customers you know as I said would you like to, to wear something that has been worn by somebody that has been that has rubbed against that person's skin no it's it's, it's about hygiene remember especially post-covid Many countries had to get hyperactive on hygiene and it's very difficult for a retailer to maintain that, you know. So he's not like he said, don't touch the shirt. He's like, I just can't let you try it on, you know, but you can try the jacket on. So it's like that. So this is the, the as I said, it depends. You need to give that person a chance to explain himself instead of just jumping the gun and making a judgment. So like how you claim that that person has made a judgment against you, you just made a judgment against that person too. So it really depends on what state of mind both of you are. As I said, I knew that the state of mind I was in England, it was very difficult for me to, you know, take things easy, but I still forced myself to take, take things easy because I knew it was stupid for me to even be bothered but the thing is that I was being bothered by other things. As I said, I was being bothered by paperwork, by bank, by, you know, jobs, by uh, housing. And I was being bothered by so many other things that I just did not have time uh, to get bothered by other people. And that is why I was, you know, I did not communicate too much. Um, I mean, I wasn't what I normally would have been, to be honest. I was almost reclusive. Um, I still am basically since I've come to Pakistan I've become even more of a recluse to be honest people are like when the hell are you going to even get out of your house you're turning into a hermit I am more or less a hermit to be honest there you are I mean the different things in your life they change you they change your your thinking as well minded they change the way you think things that happen to your life they change the way you think they change your attitude towards life they change your attitude towards others. 
So I would suggest that if you've not already gone through uh, extreme darkness, mental darkness, and if you've already not gone through bitterness, and if just if you're just embarking on your life, make the most of it and be positive and don't just jump to conclusions and don't make judgments, but try to give others a chance to explain. That would make it so much easier on you and them it's because if they can't explain, if you can't explain, you've both left each other with a misunderstanding and you're both now going home thinking about your experiences and in a negative way. And so you've both built pressure within and you've both created an unnecessary tension. This is why I believe in just getting it off my chest. If something even does bother me, I try now. I never used to do that much, but now I do it more and more for the sake of my own mental peace. I get it off my chest. I'm like, okay, I have a problem about this. You're, you're making me feel like this. You need to address this issue right now. You know, and that's it. And then after that, I don't even think about that thing because it's off of my chest, off of my mind. So I would suggest that instead of keeping things in your heart, just say it out and offer the other person a chance to explain where they're coming from. If you at least cannot. Before, I, the reason I never even used to say anything to others is because I would, I just had the thing that I would automatically assume that, okay, this person is coming from this place. Yeah, okay, this person is coming from this place. And that that's why I never mind. That's why people always used to say to me that, you know, we can say anything we want in front of you. You don't mind it. But now, now I sometimes do make it a point to tell people that just because I don't mind it doesn't mean you're allowed to say anything you like in front of me because even I have boundaries. And sometimes even I you know, might not be in the mood to listen to something. So sometimes I'm not in the mood to understand you and where you're coming from because I am now at that stage of my life, at that age of my life, where I too can get tired and I too can get exhausted and I can't always think positively. So yeah, but I mean, you know, as I said, if you're not at that stage of your life, if you're just embarking on something new, you're still young and you still have a lot to ahead of you be positive think positive understand that somebody is coming from somewhere when he's saying something to you and if it still doesn't you know mesh with you then get it off of your chest and tell that person that you that you know you felt offended at that person's words and then that person if he really is coming from somewhere you know he will tell you that that's not what he meant and clear the air, you know, and move on. Yeah. So, oh, this has also ended up being a very long podcast. I didn't expect myself to say so much. I thought I would end it in like maximum 40 minutes, but it's a little above an hour and I'm sorry if I bored you guys. But um, I hope this was in any case helpful. We all have experiences and, you know, many things happen and Sometimes what we're 100% sure of is never the case. That also has been my experience. So I hope that this all helps. And this is me signing out for the office.